0: Before we share together in Matthew chapter 7, I do want to remind everybody to please call or contact our church office to get on our email list and also to get on our texting list. Uh, when we will reopen our church, that's a, that's a fluid uh, decision. There's, there's just constantly new things we're having to wrestle with and think about and pray about. So our leadership continues to meet on that. So we ask that you please not only check our social media page, but be on our texting and email lists so you can be up to date with the latest information about those things. This morning we're continuing in our ABCs of Christianity sermon series. Just looking at the basics. What are we to believe about God? Uh, What are we to do? And also, what are some common temptations that we need to to look at and to make sure we don't fall into them? Because these ABCs really are very practical. They are things that we cannot miss because they they pay off in life. I, I love the story that Kathleen Norris tells in her book, Amazing Grace. It's this story about uh, meeting a rugged, um, a rugged self-made man named Arlo and interviewing him as he was wrestling with count, uh, cancer. But he told the story that when he and his wife were first married, that his grandfather loved to talk about the Lord with him. And after they were married, his gift to them wasn't a cash gift. It wasn't a car. It wasn't this. It, it was a Bible. That he presented them with a brand new Bible with their names, you know, in gold right there on on the Bible and gifted it to them. And, of course, Arlo, being a rugged guy and not really seeking the Lord at that time in his life, just thanked him for that. He made sure his wife wrote a note to his grandfather thanking him for that. But he just didn't want to open up that Bible, so they put it on the shelf. And from time to time, the grandfather would say, hey, how's that? How's that? How's that Bible? Do you all still have it? Is it paying off in your life? And Arlo would say, yes, yes, granddad, it's paying off in my life. Later, as the years went by, finally, after his grandfather had been pestering him and pestering him, is that Bible paying off in your life? He finally said, well, look, I'm going to break it open and look at it. And he opened it up. As many of us do, as we start to read the Bible, we just go right back to the the very beginning, Genesis 1. And he opened it up, and there he found a $20 bill. Chapter 1 of Genesis. Then he went to the next book, Exodus, $20 bill. And the next book, that's like over $1,300. $20 bill at the beginning of all the 66 books. Have you opened up the Bible? It's going to pay off for you if you do. He had begged his grandson to do that. Y'all, when we, when we rehearse the ABCs of who God is, it deepens our faith and there's a payoff. When we look at what are just the basics we need to make sure that we're about or the common temptations that we need to avoid, there is a payoff in that. And so we're just going to continue to rehearse these. And these are things you know. It's like going to a revival. You've been there before. If you're in Christ and you've been walking with the Lord and you go to that revival... You know, at the end of the service, they're going to sing Just As I Am 20 times through. But you know, at the end of that, maybe one person will come to Christ, and so you just go ahead, sing it 20 times, I'll go along. So maybe you know all these things. But who knows? Maybe one of us will hear this word and respond in a a brand new way. Maybe the rehearsing of this truth will have a payoff in my life, so be open to it. Even though it's an ABC, let's be open to what the Lord, what the Lord may say uh, through this passage in Matthew chapter 7. Now listen, we've, we're, we're at the letter N and there are many topics that we could cover. Uh, one of them would be names. I wish we had a whole sermon on that. We looked at that a lot in our pastor's Bible study in First and 2 Peter. About the names that were called and how that is to encourage us and also to correct us. But as you saw in our summer Bible study series just this past week with Tracy Thompson, it's a great reminder to us to always mark and to note the names of God, what they tell us about who He is. And that should encourage us and push us on in our faith. I, wish, I also wish we could talk about what it is to be a neighbor. Again, I, I love how our church is being a good neighbor through this season. This can be a season where it could, it could be easy to turn inward. And it's right that we share each other's burdens and take care of our, our families and ourselves through this, but also we've, we've got to turn out and be the church, as Jesus says in this sermon, to be salt and light. What, what does the scripture say about nature? That'd be a great sermon. I would encourage you to read Dr. Sandy Richter, who used to be in our church years ago, read her new book, Stewards of Eden. And what it says, I, I got to be a part of the lecture series before she wrote that book, it, it, it will bless you to think about what it means to be a believer, a Christian, and how we treat God's creation. Or what about needs? Maybe that needs to be a separate sermon someday. You know, needs were actually created in the Garden of Eden before sins. Adam had a need that was, that was not, and this, by the way, this says so much about the character of God, the heart of God, that he's not so self-absorbed that prior to sin, he created Adam with a need that he would not directly meet. be something that we maybe need to talk about in the future needs. But but for us today, it's this word that comes up twice in our passage, and it's this word, narrow. This word, narrow. And, and And it really helps us, and you see it here, it helps us in how we understand God. It doesn't mean we put God in a box. But in terms of good theology and good Bible study, we're reminded throughout Scripture that God... There is a narrowing to God. And by the way, that narrowing actually makes him bigger. Again, no room to put God in a box. But when we look at how he's revealed in Scripture, theologians say so much of what we know about God is via negativa, or this idea of negation, or in the small way I look at it, you see this thing? Well, that ain't, that ain't God. So much of Scripture, we understand God by negation. Uh, this is what he is not. And by the way, that makes God bigger. He's unlimited in power, And yet, as we understand him throughout Scripture, oh, no, 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 there are limits to who he is because there's limits to what he will and will not do. He's not like those pagan gods. He's not short-armed. He's not dull of hearing. He does not sleep. Or when you get to the New Testament in our passage today, he's not like us because we're evil. He's not like us. And by the way, he's not like a bad father who gives his children terrible gifts when they ask for one thing and they get another. Or later, to the Corinthians, he's not a God of confusion or elsewhere. He's not a God who's slow in keeping his promises. This narrowing makes God big. This narrowing of what he will not do Oh, it should draw us into a deep worship of God. This, especially in our passage today, we wrestle with evil. We wrestle with sin. God does not. For the other pagan gods, evil is always on the table. Evil is always an option. And every other faith system, that's true. But not with how we understand God. In the Judeo-Christian reading of Scripture, our God is not Evil. That narrowing is almost on every page. And it's also, especially in Matthew's gospel, and as we turn to the New Testament, the same thing can be said of Jesus. As we read Matthew's gospel, um, it's this genealogy which starts the gospel. Jesus is not just, well, he's just another one of God's family. And he's just another one to fo- follow this line of David or this line of Abraham Uh, When you get to Caesarea Philippi or you get to Matthew 16, 16, as we heard uh, Bill Urey preach, uh, Jesus is a Christ. Jesus is a son of the living God. No, it's not what it says. Peter's confession is, which God gives to him, you are the Christ you are the son of the living God. Or as Jesus revealed to, to us in John's gospel, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And in reading that in the Greek, those articles are there. The thes matter. matter of fact, those thes make all the difference. He is not a son of God. He is not a way. But he is the way. He is the son of God. And that narrowing, again, makes him bigger. Theologians would call it the scandal of particularity, meaning that not only is it scandalous that in just one time and place the saving grace of God would come, but it's only in one person, the God-man, Jesus Christ incarnate, the Word of God made flesh. It's only in him that this great salvation can come to humanity. Him alone. There are not many roads. There are not many prophets. There are not many saviors. Jesus Christ alone is Savior. Jesus Christ alone is the gate. My father-in-law was so excited to hear famed, United Methodist, or famed Methodist missionary and theologian E. Stanley Jones preach. He was so excited about that. He was coming to Atlanta to preach, to be a guest pastor, a preacher at a church. So my father-in-law made sure that he was there. And after a fiery sermon, E. Stanley Jones gave an altar call to that huge church family and said, listen, if you want to repent of your sins and to put your faith in Jesus Christ for the remission of of your sins, to turn in faith to him and to ask him to be Lord of your life and for his Holy Spirit to, to fill you, if you want to turn your life over to Jesus Christ, you come down and you do that right now. And then E. Stanley Jones went and sat down and the pastor got up and said, again, if you want to come down and be a member of our church, if you want to come join with our church, you've heard the call, come down and be a member of our church. What do you do? Here's what East Stanley Jones did. He got right back up and interrupted that pastor and said, that's not what I said. What I said was, If you want to give your life to Jesus Christ, if you want to repent of your sins and allow him to forgive you of your sins, come to Jesus Christ. So what we see in Matthew is that narrowing. It's through Christ that we are saved. He is the Messiah. And you see it throughout. We're going to go into this in a a few minutes. You see it throughout Matthew's gospel. And when you get to the end of this, the Sermon on the Mount, in the end of chapter 7, Jesus' longest sermon. When you get to the end of that, we get this clear teaching, too. It's not just a narrowing picture of who God is, a narrowing picture of who Jesus, the Son of God, God himself, but the Son of God is. But there's also a a narrowing picture for us. There is a narrow gate. There is also a narrow road, and we can't miss that. And it's a narrow road, too, and it's a narrow gate, even when he's talking about eternity, And you would think, well, wait a minute. Scripture is very clear. God is love. Scripture is very clear that God desires that all men, all people would be saved. And you look at God's activity through the Old Testament and through the New Testament, and he's constantly reaching. He's constantly reaching and calling out that people would come to him. The question or the concern is not the reaching grace of God. It's the response of people. There is the narrowing it's the response to that grace and Matthew 7 13 through 14 remind us that it's a narrow gate it's a narrow response now listen if we're honest with ourselves we will admit that we we can maybe not you but maybe i'll just confess we can struggle with judging. And I've, I've got a, a whole sermon on that. You can go back and look at that, what we believe. We talk about Matthew 7 and judge not lest you be judged. There, there is some judging in the church. That, that scripture, you heard the end of that passage. There's room for that. If we've taken the beam out of our own eye, that there can be discipline. But boy, Jesus points this out because me, maybe you too, can be tempted to narrow things for people that we can be tempted to say who is in or out. We can do that. John Grisham's book, A Painted House, told a story about that. A Sunday school teacher had gotten up to eulogize a man named Jerry uh, Sisko. Jerry Sisko had picked plenty of fights with people. As a matter of fact, he had picked one too many a fight, and he died in his last fight. And as the Sunday school teacher got up to eulogize uh, Jerry, John Grisham tells the story of a little boy who, hearing all these glorious things that we could be tempted to do in a eulogy with somebody who lived a life like Jerry, uh, here's, what, here's what John Grisham says. This little boy and his friend, Duane, who had witnessed one of those fights, this little boy says, She made Jerry sound like a Christian and an innocent victim. I glanced over at Dwayne, who had one eye on me, too. There was something odd about this eulogy. As Baptists, we've been taught from the cradle that the only way you made it into heaven was by believing in Jesus and trying to follow his example and living a clean and moral Christian life. And anyone who did not accept Jesus and live a Christian life Simply went to hell. That's where Jerry Sisco was, and we all knew it. Again, Scripture is clear about fruit and about all those things, but I don't know about you. I can be tempted in my life to, to narrow people, to take which ultimately is Jesus' job of judge from him and put it on me. I can narrow people quickly, and y'all, we live in a culture that will narrow you in a second. If you don't believe the same thing that that they do in in their politics or in whatever, you are narrowed and you are canceled in a minute. In contrast, maybe me, maybe you, especially our culture, get very frustrated if God says, Ho, ho, wait a minute. My grace is open to all, but when God says you're right, There is a narrow way. This gate and this entrance is determined by, and praise God, it is won and gained by Jesus Christ. And it is a narrow way. Jesus, when you listen to his names in John's Gospel, he is a gate, he is a door, he is a way. It is through him. The grace of is infinite, but the gate is narrow. And you see this kind of narrowing throughout Matthew's gospel. It begins with the sermon that says, hey, you're going one way, repent, turn 180 degrees in your thinking and your life, and come in. And the bookend, the very last thing is, you need to be baptized. Baptize everybody. Meaning, in our understanding of baptism, is really initiation in some ways. You are out, come in. And then there's this dividing and narrowing throughout the entire gospel. You pick up here in the the Sermon on the Mount last week, we said you can't have two masters. Here in chapter 7, there's no judging. There's even talk of fire. There's talk of a narrow gate. There's talk of different soil for different houses. You get to chapter 8, he says, you got to leave the dead to bury the dead, and you got to come with me. You get to chapter 12, and he says, who are my, who, who's my family? Who are my brothers and sisters? If you do the will of God, inferring if you're, if you're outside the will, you're not in my family. You get to chapter 13, and there's kingdom parables, and there's more burning. You get to chapter 19, and there's talk of this issue with riches, which can be an issue, and, and, and it's like an eye of a needle. It's narrowed. And then you get to chapter 22. Many are invited, few are chosen. Chapter 25. Truly I say to you, I, I don't know you. He talks about a division between sheep's and goats. Jesus's grace and love are not narrowed. They are full and they are offered to us through his cross. But this gate and this road of response in Matthew and from Jesus it is narrow. So it's right for us from time to time just rehearse that truth that Jesus Christ has come to open that door, to be that gate, to be the way to to God and to life eternal and to life with God right now. I pray, I pray you've walked through that gate. If not, I, I want to pray with you. I, I want you to pray that prayer to say, Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sins. You, you opened that door. Would you forgive me of my sins and open, open that door for me, for life eternal with my Father? Would you forgive me and be the, be the king? As Matthew highlights the kingship of Jesus, you be the king and Lord of my life. Fill me with your spirit. But it's a word for us also, not only of just have we gone through that door, but after that gate, there's this talk of this road. And this road is not to be broad, but it is to be a narrow road. By the way, it's good news, y'all. It sounds in a culture where we don't like anything that's narrowed. We don't like to narrow any of our options. Look, I don't want my cable package narrowed. I only watch four channels, but I want the 120-channel option, right? We don't like anything that's narrowed. This narrowing of the road is for life. That's what verse 14 says. It's it's for life. This is actually good news. Not only does the narrowing of who God is make him bigger, and the narrowing of what Jesus says make his salvation bigger, but here when we talk about a narrow road, and it's a tough road, it's a disciplined life, it actually makes life bigger. And it's for life that he gives it to us, I love in C.S. Lewis and in the book Prince Caspian. For those who get to go to heaven, one of one of the phrases from one of the character characters is, "The further up and the further in you go, the bigger everything gets." It may look like like a life of knots. It may look like a life of limiting. It may look like a life of narrowing, and it is. A hard call to discipleship and to holiness and the narrow road. But John 10.10 10 would say this kind of life is abundant life. Or you get to John 20.31. I've written these things that you might have life. Not just a life eternal, but he's talking about life with God and a fullness of life now. Soren Kierkegaard said, Most people really believe that the Christian commandments, for example, to love your neighbor as yourself, are intentionally a little too severe like putting the clock ahead of an the clock ahead half an hour to make sure of not being late in the morning these words are words of life I put there just to make sure you get in. This kind of disciplined life, this narrow path, this call to follow me over and over, to follow wherever my footsteps go, as, my, as, as you as my disciple and I as your rabbi and leader, you follow exactly where I lead. This tightening, this narrowing, it produces life. I may have told the story about John Blanchard, but I love his story about how when he was young, Matter of fact, just just weeks before he would go off to serve our country in World War II, he was in a library in, in New York, and he found a book that he loved. But as he was reading that book, he noticed that there was one, there was one person who apparently was writing in the margins, And really only one or two people had written in this book, and he figured out by the person who had signed their name in the back that, that their signature matched the writing in the margins. And, he saw it was a girl, and he, he started falling in love with her heart and her mind and her personality. And so he found out by the back of the book her name, and he did his homework and found out she was from New York City. And so he wrote to her and told her, hey, I've, I've read what you've written. And I would love to, to grow in our friendship and, and, and to write back and forth to you. And so they began that. But again, a few weeks after that began, he was shipped off for over a year overseas serving in World War II. But as they wrote back and forth, he fell in love. She fell in love. Having never seen each other. And so he wrote to her and said, "I'll be coming back, Grand Central Station. I'll be coming back at seven o'clock this day from the war. Would you meet me there? You, you wear a rose, you know, wear a red rose right here, and I will find you." And so he showed up there to meet her, and as he was walking around looking, this woman in a lime green, yes, lime green dress came up to him. Now, he's young, she's young, and I'm going to use his words because I want to be careful here uh, how I say this. But here's what John Blanchard said. Her figure was long and slim. Her blonde hair lay back in curls from her delicate ears. Her eyes were blue as flowers. Her li-, on and on describing her appearance. And she came up to him and said, You go in my way, sailor? She wasn't wearing a rose and john took his eyes off of her and continued to look through the room again are you going my way sailor and then he saw he saw the woman with the rose now this is a young soldier who sees a woman in her late 40s and 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 what do you do with that? I fall in love with her heart. I fall in love with her mind. I fall in love with her personality. And this young, immature, 19, 20-year-old kid, would he have the heart and the character to say, that's the one I love? Or, do, or is it this woman in the lime, dream, lime green dress? And he does not hesitate. He puts his eyes on the woman with the rose. And he walks up to her and says, can I take you to dinner? And she says, Sonny, I don't don't know what's going on. But this woman in a lime green dress came up to me and handed me this rose and asked if I would wear it. And she told me if you came up to me and asked to take me to dinner, that she would be waiting for you across the street in that restaurant. Um, The way is narrow. John, like many of us, was tempted to take his eyes off of the narrow way. There are many distractions that would take our eyes off of that gate and take our eyes off of the road. Jesus, in his Sermon on the Mount, says, this gate is narrow, this road is narrow, but it's a road that leads to life. Listen, I understand it's, 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 it can be hard. Not just personally, But as we look at the world around us where our friends don't want to be on a narrow road and there's there's tension because of that, or our our friends don't want to parent in the ways that we feel biblically we ought to parent and and there's a broader road and what they'll allow for and we're fighting for our kids' souls, not just their success. We're fighting for their souls and there's going to be tension there on how we do family, on how we do work, and how we do play, but this is for life. Yes, life eternal, but this is, this is just for life, an abundant life, a full life. Jesus says to us, small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life. When he finishes the Sermon on the Mount, there's two reactions, and those reactions, both of those reactions have to be ours. It can't just be verse 28. It just can't be amazement. And they were amazed at what he said. But their other reaction, which they don't follow up on, that we have to follow is, this is not like the scribes who don't teach with authority. There is authority in his teaching. Whatever Christ has said, however he's leading us this morning, Maybe it's for the first time to say, yes, Jesus. It's not my holiness. It's not my good works. It's, I'm giving up whatever I'm holding on to. It's you. You are the gate. You are the door. And I'm, I want you to save me. It's only through you that I have life. I pray you pray that prayer. But also to look at our lives and say, boy, is there, is there any place, especially in terms of evangelism, because I don't, I don't, my life, not only is it going to be bigger because I'm on a, a narrow road, my life will matter more to others and to a broken culture, a hurting culture, a confused culture. My life can matter more when they see that, that my road is narrow. It's not me spirited. It's because I'm committed to Christ. And that, that road can be salt and light. How is it you and I can say, not only are we amazed by what Christ teaches here, but we can say, you have full authority. You have full authority. Whatever is your road, Jesus, I want to be on it. And and wherever I've been loose, wherever I have, have gotten off on the wrong path, help me to follow in your steps for your glory and so that my life might matter and be salt and light to others who see my life. Let's pray about that. Lord Jesus, we praise you and we thank you that through your cross, through your resurrection, you are the door, you are the gate so that we might have life eternal with you and with our Heavenly Father for for always. Holy Spirit, we pray that we would do that work this day in response to the Word of God to see where and to ensure that we are on the road, the road that leads to life. Would you prompt us? Would you correct us? Would you encourage us so that we might be on that road? In a world of so many roads and so many ways, Lord Jesus, we say you are the way, you are the gate, and it is our prayer. We would be on your road in all ways and in all things for your glory and for our very own lives. And it's in Christ's name that we pray this prayer. Amen.